classify as bondage, right? It's not just some grave uh, sin that is necessarily a bondage. I mean, there can, there's all things that, uh, that we can find uh, ourselves in bondage to. We can find ourselves in bondage, bondage to fear and anxiety. Fear and anxiety, oh, it's, it's crippling. Some people uh, don't even live the life that God has for them out of, out of fear and anxiety. It's, and, and it's not like um, it's not a real thing because how often did God say when he showed up, fear not, <laughs> right? An angel of God shows up and he says, fear not, you know. Uh, as far as I can tell, uh, when we meet the Lord in the air, he'll say, fear not. I mean, it's going to be a shock. And uh, so he, he knows our frame and I'm thankful for that and but some people are just absolutely debilitated by, by, uh, by bondages in their life. Jesus said, if the Son of Man hath set you free, you're free indeed. And the only reason that we are not is because of us, not because of Him. It's there. It's available. It's like, it's like you know, paying the fine of the prisoner and opening the gate of the, of the prison. And he goes, eh, I've been kind of used to this. I've been here quite a while, you know kind of used to the routine routine i'm used to the regiment i'm used to the food i'm used to although i don't know what prison food tastes like but it can't be good you know um <laughs> i said really like i knew i actually i don't but uh, I, it's got to be right up there with school food and uh, and uh, but he could he could literally he could say no nah, i'm good i'll just stay here you know some people get out of prison and get right back into trouble a lot of reasons because they know they're going to get three square meals a day, a warm place to stay, and they don't know how to live otherwise. But hold on, we do that in our Christian life. There's, there's deliverance available for us, and we go, yeah, but that's outside of my comfort zone. I've never lived like that before. I don't know how to live like that. And that's, that's legit. I get it, right? But uh, we don't have to live that way. And a lot of times what God will do, as we know in our life, He'll allow us to live that way until we get sick of it, until we finally get sick of it. And, uh, and uh, we begin to turn to Him. And that's, that's when change happens. But here last week we saw that uh, uh, we saw in Lesson 4 God's confirmation to Moses. He got there. He, he confronted Pharaoh. We talked about how we confront the world with the gospel. It didn't go like He planned. And I can tell you, when you confront the world with the gospel, it's not going to go like you think. Sometimes, every once in a while, you'll be pleasantly surprised. You're like, wow, what a, what a good door. That, that, was a, that was a great home to visit. And then about 25 houses down the line, you're, they're still the, you know. Uh, uh, uh. We were, uh, uh, after one visitation up in Springfield one time, one Saturday, uh, Brother Ray Forrester and, uh, and Brian Mills came back. They said they had nine good visits that day, and they just could not believe it. It doesn't happen. And boy, what a good day. And they said, we got to go. We're going back next week. We got to go back to them because, you know, there's more to do there. And uh, so that, that's rare. A lot of times it's uh, at the very uh, least, it's a no thank you. At the very worst, it's, uh, you know, if you don't get off here, you know, you're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you off here. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not always good. So he went and confronted the world. He confronted Pharaoh. It didn't turn out like he wanted it to. And, um, and uh, God had to confirm to Moses, no, I did call you for this. This is what I wanted. And this is what happens in our life when we begin to confront the world. When we begin to confront, I talked about deliverances of our own life. When we begin to confront deliverance, the areas of deliverance in our own life, God opens a door. He makes it known. We see the things that we need delivered from in our life. We begin to start that process. And it doesn't go like we think. 
And we're like, oh, you know what's easier to do? Go back to the leeks and the onions. That's what Israel wanted. Remember in the wilderness? We'll just go back to the leeks and the onions. Yeah, but you're eating leeks and onions in bondage. And you hated it. And what you forgot was you were crying to God for deliverance because it was so terrible. Isn't it crazy how we go back to the world? I mean, we, we go back to all, I mean, we just think, oh, you know, I, I was talking to a, a, a friend the other day and he talked about some song from his past came up, uh, you know, and, and you hear it on the radio now, you hear him in the grocery store. The 80s is oldies now. Isn't that weird? <laughs> and it's everywhere now, you know? And um, I don't know, you hear things like, I don't even want to say names that I remember because I don't want you to think about them. <laughs> but, uh, you, you hear these things, and you know what? Some memories can come back. They can be very fond, right? I mean, I, you know, it's you know, it's like the, your childhood. Your you know, just the, the the freedom there in the childhood, and you're just doing whatever you wanted to do, and right, and all of these songs and this music and these rock group, all this stuff comes back to you. And for a moment, it's like you, you remember there's like something fun, but you know what you forget, and what comes to your mind eventually was, wait a minute, I was in total bondage then. I was living a life of sin. I was on my way to hell. That wasn't good. You know, there was nothing good about that. That and isn't it amazing that music only identifies itself with the with a with a life outside of Christ, right? Yeah. It's not like you hear you know Led Zeppelin. And you're like, oh, praise God. You know what? How glorious that was. It's like <laughs> never, never. Yeah. Oh, thanks a lot. I'll have that on my head. See, that's why I wasn't going to say much, right? <laughs> deliverance. God provided deliverance. And God, but God gave, when, when Moses didn't know what was going on, he gave confirmation. We saw that last week. But today, I want to look at in Exodus chapter 6. If you turn yourself there to Exodus chapter 6, God has uh, given us confirmation. Though it hasn't turned out like you thought it ought to turn out, God is still in control. God is still uh, working things out together uh, for your good, for His glory. He's still in, in there. And we're going to see today that God still has an outstretched arm. Think about that. What does that mean, an outstretched arm? Right? An outstretched arm. It means somebody's there to help. Right? Somebody's there to help. Uh, you look at the old westerns, and and uh, you know they may be getting up in the stagecoach, and somebody was in there, and they put their arm out, and they help the lady up into the stagecoach, right? And uh, today it's like get your own door, right? So, <laughs> and uh, but an outstretched arm. If you're drowning, and somebody kind of motors up on their boat and uh, throws their arm out to get you out of the water, that's an outstretched arm. What is it? It's help. It's help. Look at Exodus chapter 6. Look at verses 6 through 8. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with, look, a stretched out arm, and with great judgments. And I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it you for inheritance. I am the Lord. If there's any question about the inheritance, Abraham, he confirmed it to Isaac, his son, and then he confirmed it to Jacob of who here, the children of all of the 12 children of Jacob. Here is, that is the family here in Israel 
I'm sorry, in Egypt right now, and they are still counted in the inheritance of the promised land of Canaan. God says, I, I, have, I, will, I am bringing you out because of a covenant I made, and I'm keeping my covenant. We're going to look at that here today. Let me pray with you real quickly. Father, thank you for the day, and uh, thank you for those that have been able to make it out. Pray for those that are on their way yet. And uh, Lord, would you uh, teach us today? Would you help us to see what you have for us? Would you help us to see in our own life personally that we'd make the application today, that your Holy Spirit would help us to make the application today that you are a deliverer and you are are at all times uh, standing before us with an outstretched arm if we just reach out to you and respond. Help us to see that today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, from a human standpoint, Moses' first attempt to deliver God's message to Pharaoh was a failure. And isn't that how we do, you know, God says do this, we go and do it, all of a sudden the first response, the first thing that happens is it doesn't work, right? You know, God kind of puts it on your heart to talk to somebody, you build this whole thing up in your mind, how it's going to go, and it's like, oh, it didn't go anything like that, right? Maybe maybe there's something God put on your heart that you needed to go apologize to somebody. Maybe you need to get a, a relationship right. And you had it all in your mind and it was going to turn out. And it was going to be just hugs and high fives and all this stuff. And you go to them and they're like, and? <laughs> Never mind. Right. It looked like failure. Right. Now, listen, you don't know what God's doing in their heart. You know, they you know, there's there's it's not always failure. Absolutely. It's what we see here. It's not always failure. See, but from God's standpoint, he had already knew what was going to happen with Pharaoh and he already knew what he was going to do about it. So so what seemed like failure on our part was actually the plan for deliverance on God's part. Right. Was, was not the cross of Calvary the, the, most, the greatest colossal failure in human history? From, from man's standpoint? This guy who's a king, this guy who's your Messiah, who, who they, the, the Jews thought would uh, rescue them from the Roman Empire, doesn't even hardly address them and ends up crucified by them. Well, that's a failure. What a bust. No, see, the world looks like failure, but it wasn't failure. That was God's plan. Because the, 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 the victory and the deliverance was greater than just a human deliverance from an empire in this world. It was a deliverance of our soul. It was a restoration of a relationship that, of, w- w- that provided an eternal inheritance. Much bigger, much broader than that. And so when Moses and Aaron appeared to Pharaoh that first time and they requested Israel to be set free... They were just really, they, they, they had faith and they went to, you know, Pharaoh, I'm sure, expecting that this was going to be a great deal. And, but no, they, he, they were responded to with just, with just hate and rejection. It's like, I don't know the Lord. I don't even know who you're talking about. I don't even care. You can get out of here and actually, uh, just for this, you tell you what, I'm going to make it hard. You can go get your own straw. How do you like that? No. Right. You know what God reminded them? And I'm thankful for this. God knows our frame, doesn't he? He knows we're but dust. He knows what we can handle. He knows what we can't handle. And he comes back to, he could have just said, uh, I already told you this, right? But he comes back to them and he reminds them that he's all powerful. 
He reminds them that he is pre-existent. Look at, listen to number. you can turn over to Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19. God promised to deliver him, right? And he's always faithful to his promises. Don't forget that. He is always faithful to his promises in his time. In his time. Listen to Numbers 23. God is not a man, verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. He Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? What is Moses learning here? What is he needing to learn here right now? Is that he is, he is needing to learn how to trust the Lord, even in the face of difficulty and apparent failure. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says over in Proverbs, the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. You know what the the righteous do when failure comes? They just trust God. Uh, Right? What did Job say? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Right? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This was Job's response to absolute tragedy and unknown seeming uh, failure and loss in his life at the beginning place of of this loss that came in was was trust and dependence upon God. Even after he went through the, the grieving process and the anger and some of the bitterness and some of the questions as he began to, to see uh, 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 the, the God, God who, for who he is, it's then when he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Actually, it was in the midst of when he said, I'm looking for him. I don't see him in front of me. I don't see him behind me. I can't find him on the left. I can't find him on the right. He's like, the, the heavens are a brass. I cannot find him. And he said, though, I, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Wow. Yeah. No, that's what God's trying to get all of us to learn. It's easy. Listen, friend, you and I know this. This this is old news. It is easy to trust him, right? When the job is good, when the family's good, when the church is just busting at the seams, when 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 people are getting saved, when your relatives are getting saved, when all of these it's easy to trust God when all of that's going on. But it's a whole other story when it looks like your life's just nothing but a colossal failure. You know, God's getting, you to, getting us to understand, getting you to realize. Even when it looks like failure, right? God's trying to get us to trust Him. No, that is the mark of trust, friend. No, that is, that is listen, if you can learn trust at that hour of your life, right? It, it is the strongest, most unmovable trust you will have for the rest of your life. Absolutely. God came to reassure Moses. He absolutely he did. And he's going to give him three promises today. He's in a hard place. He doesn't get it. It hasn't working out like he thought it would. Right? And here's these promises. I think they're applicable to all of us today. And if you notice here in Exodus 6.6, 6, what we see here is a redemption. A redemption. Israel was discouraged because all of a sudden their workload was increased. Yeah, they're slaves. Yeah, they're making brick. They hate it. But at least the Egyptians were bringing all the straw and some of the materials for to do their work. Now they said, well, not only are you going to make these, but you're going to go get all the materials also. Right. Not only are you going to, you know, uh, 
make this rock wall, but you're going to go get the rocks too. Not only, you know, you're going to, they, they just loaded onto their workload to make it even uh, worse. And, and we saw what happened. I mean, their, their spirits just fell. They were, they were destroyed because of it. They were just really let down. And in verse 6, uh, so God came to Moses and he delivered to them a promise of redemption. I'm talking about redemption this morning. Here is a promise, a promise of redemption. Verse 6, Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rid you out of their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. They haven't seen anything yet. I mean, wait, wait till the last plague. Whew. They're going to see God deliver them with an outstretched arm. Meaning what? He's the one doing it. And with great, great judgment. He's going to make it known, right? He's going to make it known. He's going to, he's going to make it obvious. They're going to see his power. What, what's God wanting to show them? In, 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 even though the response isn't what they thought it was going to be, you know what God's showing them? That he still cared. And he's still capable of delivering. Isn't that interesting? We, we, place a, we put in our life the way that God, we think God ought to deliver us. And when it doesn't come that way, right, we get discouraged. What is that discouragement showing? Well, it's almost showing that we only think he can deliver this way. But he can't deliver this way. It's like, it's like we're saying, well, I, I was really excited over here. I was, oh, I was looking forward to what you're going to do. And then just the bottom fell out of it. What are you saying? Well, God can deliver here, but he can't deliver here. No, uh, right? This is what is happening to the children of Israel. This is what happened with Moses. What is going on? I mean, I went and asked him and he said no, and they've made everything worse. Now it's a deeper hole than where we were in before. So what he is saying is God could deliver when they were making bricks and in slavery and this, you know, at this level of slavery. But now that they're at this level of slavery, boy, now I don't know. Uh, is God hindered by anything? I don't know if we meditate on that enough. I don't know if we meditate on how insignificant we are in the sight of God. How insignificant this planet, this universe, this, this, uh, our galaxy, the billions of galaxies within uh, our, our own Milky Way and, and what is beyond that, beyond our, uh, our absolute human comprehension, how that doesn't even show up on God's radar. It's so small. And we go, oh, I thought he could deliver me here, but I don't know about here. Isn't that weird how we limit God? It shows our our human viewpoint of who God is. We doubt his promises so many times. Why? Because of discouragement. Discouragement. Hey, what are some clues? I, I want you to, you can talk to me here. What are some clues in your life? Maybe you've noticed this. You've seen this in your life. God, you've lived through times when God has, you've been in bad times. You've been in hard times. You've been in areas when you need God to deliver you. And you, you know you've lived in times when you've waited for the deliverance of God. And, uh, and you know what it's like to be delivered by God for some things. But what are some clues to recognize when a doubt is the source of discouragement? Anybody, anybody can look back in your own life and, and say, you know, you know, I remember a time and this came up or that came up and uh, in the middle of it, it was a, boy, I tell you what, it was just, I was, I was kind of discouraged. I thought it was all over and, 
Maybe there's some things and you realize, you realize, wait a minute, this is just doubt and discouragement. Anybody, anybody have anything? Anybody remember anything? Anything in your life like that? Anybody ever been delivered from anything? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have any, you have any, uh, what about accusations? Right? Satan's the accuser of the brethren, right? You know, what it is, what is he, he accuses in three ways. He accuses us to God, he accuses God to us, and then he accuses us to each other, right? Yeah. When these thoughts come in your mind, you just got to reject them a lot. You know, accusations come up. Oh, reject those. God doesn't do that, right? But uh, accusations may come up. Yeah. You know, sometimes those accusations are, a lot of times when we're looking for God's deliverance, what does Satan do? He accuses God to us. If you love me, if you cared, if you knew what was going on, if, 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 if you could see how I'm uh, doing right now, I don't know why you're living, you know, you're allowing me to live like this. Look, look at the accusation of Adam with Adam and Eve. Adam, listen, Adam didn't blame Eve, friend. He blamed God, the woman that thou gavest to me. He was blaming God. And that's what we do. Right? This is what Satan gets us to do. Watch, when you're looking for the deliverance of God and those things start coming to your mind, you, know, you need to automatically say, yeah, boy, those are, that's Satan right there, man. That is the accuser of the brethren. And you know what that should excite you in? God's going to deliver. I don't know when, I don't know how, but I, I, can, I can nail it down. If Satan is accusing and Satan's getting involved in this and Satan is trying to discourage me, you know what that means even more? That God is going to do what he said in his time. I just need to wait on them. What about accusations, right? What about the attacking of God's character? What doesn't he do that? Then it's what, I mean, really, it's what he said to Eve, hath God said? It, it's, he's causing Eve to doubt what God said, but it's also an attack on his character. It's like he's keeping something from you. There's something better you could have, and, and that if you just knew what you could have that God is keeping from you, man, you would know good and evil. You would know you would be like God. And it's like, oh, wow, God's keeping stuff. It's the attack of his character. Yeah. Like he's holding out. Yeah. What, about, what about this? I wrote down one more thing here. You're waiting for the deliverance of God and you feel like you're the only one in the fight. <laughs> remember when Elijah, remember Elijah went, uh, went to Mount Carmel, you know, he just wiped out the prophets of Baal and uh, Jezebel's chasing him and God called him up to, to Horeb and he's up there. And he said it twice. He said it twice. You know, I have cut down thine altars. I've, you know, I've done all of these things. I've, I've, I've been obedient to you and I, I am left, I, I alone am, am left here to serve, you know, I am the only one left. Let me say it this way. I am the only one left doing right. Yeah. He says, I'm it. You know what God told him? No, you're not. There's 7,000 I've reserved unto myself that I haven't bowed their knee into Baal. But watch, that is an attack of Satan when we believe, begin thinking, well, only I've gone through this. Only I've dealt with this. Only I am in this bondage. Only I, you know, I'm the only one doing right. I'm the only one, you know. Listen, that is an attack. That is an attack. You, 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 need, to, uh, you need to put that away. They are, those are some clues to recognize when you are doubting, when doubt is, is, is the source of the discouragement you're in, waiting for God. Because we get discouraged when we're waiting, don't we? Right. It's like, Lord, how long? Yeah. 
Redemption. Redemption. God is reiterating to Moses, I am fully aware of where you are. I am in a position, watch this, I am still in the position of an outstretched arm. I haven't taken my arm back. I haven't walked away. I haven't said, oh, well, you know, the the boat and the arm didn't quite, you know, the waves are too hard. I guess I'll just go back to the shore. (laughs) Nice knowing you. No, the arm is still out. Listen, listen, in God's deliverance, the arm never comes back in. If you drown, you will drown because you had not taken hold of an outstretched arm, not because of him. He has provisions for his deliverance. He assured them in verse 6 that he's going to bring them out of bondage, right? But his plan for deliverance had not been thwarted by Pharaoh's refusal. Look what he says, verse 6 again. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. What's that mean? They're not going to be slaves anymore. This is the end goal, right? And God keeps his promise, amen, right? Have you ever had anybody make a promise to you and not keep it? Have you ever been the one that didn't keep the promise? Yeah. Before you get all irritated at them. <laughs> right. Listen, we've all had somebody break promises. We've all probably broken promises to somebody. But can I tell you, God doesn't do that. He's nothing like us. Thank the Lord. <laughs> right. There's a guy who took his uh, suit to a dry cleaner's. And uh, he needed it quickly that day. And I've done this. I've traveled. I've had my suits. And you get them out. And, and I've tried to look around and try to find somebody that could just press suits. And most, uh, a lot of cleaners won't just press suits. So many cleaners now, they just send their stuff out to a big place that does them. And they don't do that anymore. Um, so and it's, sometimes it's hard, you know. Or, or you're just out. Of, you, you get into town and you leave it at the front desk of the hotel. And they will take it to a cleaner's and have it pressed. And, but sometimes you don't have time. Well, this guy didn't have time. He got in. He needed a suit pressed, and uh, and uh, he was he found this one, dry cleaner. Said one hour dry cleaner, and he said perfect. And he dropped it off. The lady took all of his information down, and uh, and so he said, "I'll be back in about an hour to pick it up or so." And she goes, "Well, uh, it, I won't be able to do it. It'll be a couple days. It won't be an hour. It'll be a couple days." He said, "I thought you did dry cleaning in an hour." She said, "Oh no, that's just the name of the place." <laughs> That's just our name. We don't really do it, right? Yeah. Some people look at God like that. Yeah. I am your provider. I am your uh, shield. I am your buckler. I am your high tower. I am, you know, all of these things that God says he is, that actually is who he is. It's just not the name. It's just not, you know, some name that entitled that he's given himself. It is actually who he is. He keeps his promises, friend. He absolutely does. He said, well, he hasn't yet. Uh, Yes, he has. Right? He absolutely has. Not in your time. Oh, I can't say that enough. Not in my time. Do you know I still get all bent out of shape when my my timing is not God's timing? You would think we would have matured past that, right? We still still get caught. Right? It's like, oh, that's never going to happen. And then then, then you're like, Peter, depart from me. You know, when uh, he doubted Jesus on casting the net on the other side, right? How often do we go back to the Lord and go, I'm so stupid. Why didn't I just trust you? 
just this year, just just a few months ago, I was we were, Sherry and I were talking about something that we've watched God do in a miraculous way in our family, and I said I've just had to go back to the Lord and just apologize for being so un, just so faithless in this area that we've watched God do something that only He could do, and we've asked Him for it, right? And we watch Him intervene beyond what you could ask or think in some people's lives, and you're like, wow. Only God could have done this, right? Yeah. But was I waiting with faithful expectation? Nope. I was like, yeah, we'll see. (laughs) Right? Anybody else do that? Okay, good. Me and Jana, we're we're in a real problem. Was that Jana? Did you say uh uh-huh? Or was that Judy? Oh, it was (laughs) Judy's like, oh, that was her. God's going to deliver. Amen. Provision of deliverance. Not only that, it gives a provision of freedom. He promised freedom for the children of Israel. I will rid you out of their bondage. That's freedom. He's promised it. Yeah. But you know what? Just as Israel was under a lot of bondage, you know, many people in our world are under the bondage to sin. Amen. They're controlled by it. It is the greatest bondage in the world. But God has promised a way of freedom. His arm is outstretched in the person of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is always outstretched if they would just take it. What are some areas, I've got some things written down here. What are some areas of freedom that God has that you have taken hold of, that God has offered in your Christian life. Some may say, you know what, I got saved and, and just alcohol went out. I just poured everything out. I've never touched it since. And, you, know, the deba- I, you know, threw the tobacco away. I did this. I did that. Uh, the anxiety, God has taken anxiety from me. I used to have great anxiety. And uh, well, I tell you what, I got saved and I just noticed the peace of God. And uh, there, there's all sorts of things that God does in areas of growth and freedom. And uh, what are some of the areas of freedom in your life? Do they come to your mind? You came to Christ and, boy, I tell you what, since you were saved, there may not, you may not, I mean, there's still more in the future you're looking at. But, boy, you you can look back and you can see some areas of freedom and growth that you've been given by God. Romans chapter 8, 1 and 2, there's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus hath made us free from the law of sin and death. Right. What did Jesus provide here? The world's in sin. The world is in bondage. We were in bondage to sin. And here Jesus provides freedom and deliverance from those who accept the forgiveness of sin. Now, you know, some people even believe it, but they never accept it. Isn't that weird? There has to be an acceptance. There has to be a receiving of it. Sin is such a hard taskmaster. I mean, think about the chains of lust. Think about the chains of anger. Think about how the the heavy chains of envy and addiction, and as they go on, they just grow tighter and tighter and tighter. But you know what? We find out God can rid us of these things once and for all. Because we are free from the spirit of, 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 we are free from sin and from death. 
Listen, if you can get free from sin and death, you can get free from anything. If, if God can free you from sin, from the, from the bondage of sin and death, friend, He can free you from anything that has, has remained in your life that is a byproduct of your flesh. He can, he can free you from those. We saw provisions of deliverance, provisions for freedom that God showed Moses here. And finally, look at this, verse 6, I will redeem you with a stretched out arm. We see here a provision of redemption. Redemption. No matter how desperate the situation is, God can reach down. He can pick you up. He can bring you to a place of redemption. This was what he was promising them. You see, they're in bondage. They're in Egypt. They're under the taskmaster of, 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 of Pharaoh. Their problem looks dire. It's gotten worse than it even was before. It's even worse now. It hasn't got better since they began to uh, cry out to God for deliverance. It's gotten, it's gotten worse. It's gotten worse. God said, I'll redeem you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to redeem you. This word redeem here is speaking of that whole act of kinsman redeemer. Remember Ruth? Remember Boaz? <clears throat> Ruth and Naomi. Naomi had gone back to uh, her and Elimelech had left uh, Israel during the time of famine, during the time of the judges. Famine came into Israel. They left. They went to, they went to Moab, but God never told them to do that. Right? And they went there and, of course, uh, Malon, Chilion die. Elimelech dies. Here's Ruth left with, with uh, uh, Naomi left with, with Ruth and, and Gomer. Uh, no. Uh, yeah, Gomer. No. Ruth and Orpah. Thank you. Orpah means wild goat. Isn't that interesting? But I forgot her name. <laughs> We're going to look at Gomer early, a little bit today maybe, actually later. That's why that's in my head. Orpah. And Orpah, of course, goes back with her people. Ruth, one of beautiful illustrations of repentance in the Old Testament. She has been living with a set of information uh, that she has been brought up with. She has obviously been, been presented with the information of the God of Israel. And uh, she puts aside the old information. She takes the new information and says, Your people should be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you are buried, I will be buried. And she travels with Naomi back into the land of promise. And uh, she is a believer. She is a believer. Beautiful scene of repentance there. She has changed her mind and believed the gospel, believed the word of God, believed what she had been given. We'd say today, believe the gospel. And so here, you know what happens. Boaz says, who's that? No, that's how he said it. Who's that? <laughs> right? He's obviously single and uh, he's older, obviously. He even says, remember what he says? You could have, you could have gone with any of the younger men. But you're virtuous. You weren't out just to find a husband. You weren't out just to find a sugar daddy. To take me. <laughs> she was just there to do what God wanted her to do, to take care of her mother-in-law. And wouldn't you know it, in the plan of God, they come together. And uh, so what, what happens? How many know, remember what, what the whole act of kinsman redeemer is? Right? Okay, good. I wanted to explain it to you anyway. So somebody may know. Oh, you all know? Okay, well, we'll move on. I can't do that. So... Just a reminder, what, is, what, what happens? They have an inheritance, right? 
they have an inheritance that gets carried on generation to generation. Well, if a, a, a husband dies without any children, well, that, that inheritance passing on, it dies. So the next of kin would come along and uh, either uh, purchase all of that, you know, because at one point we see in Ruth that, uh, in the book of Ruth, uh, Hose- yeah, Ruth, that uh, they had sold, the, the, their property had been forfeited when they left, and when they got back, they couldn't buy it back. They didn't have the money. But Boaz did. And Boaz married Ruth as the kinsman redeemer, carried on the line of, of uh, Elimelech and uh, Malon and Chilion, but carried on the line of, of Elimelech and purchased all of the property of theirs and, uh, and redeemed it as to himself. And that is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did. He is our kinsman Redeemer, He bought us back. He redeemed us. Listen to Ruth 4. Listen to 13. So Boaz, so Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception. And she bare a son, and the woman named said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that thy name may be famous in Israel. And boy, Ruth, that Moabitess, is in the lineage of the Messiah. Yeah. Ruth is David's great-great-grandmother, great-grandmother. And I believe it would be, uh, Rahab would have been his great-great-grandmother. I got those mixed up probably, but you can look at those later. So in Bible times, in order for a slave to be freed, they had to pay the price. A price had to be paid for emancipation. And uh, somebody, usually a relative, would come along. There was a nearer kinsman to Boaz who could not redeem Right. If Boaz is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, what was the what was the type and picture of the nearer kinsman? Who was it? Unable to redeem nearer but unable to redeem. It was the law. It was the law. He couldn't redeem. It's not possible. But here we have a kinsman redeemer for Ruth, and we also needed a kinsman redeemer, right? Listen to Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So what did Jesus do? Well, he came so that we could receive redemption. Redeemed. What did he do? He stretched out his arm to redeem us unto himself. Deuteronomy 7, 19. I've got it down here. The great temptations which I and I saw and the signs and the wonders and the mighty hand and the stretched out arm whereby the Lord, the God, brought thee out. So shall the Lord thy God do unto all the people of whom thou art afraid. God said, I'll be, I'll be the stretched out arm forever against anybody who comes against you. Yeah. God loved Israel so much that he said, I'll, I, I will take you. I'll, I'll, I'll take you. I want you. Right? He's a deliverer. He redeems us back to himself. It's a place of relationship, friend. See, this is where it all turns. This is where it all turns. It's, it's not just like, you know, somebody from the... the uh, the most feared words in America, right? I'm from the government. I'm here to help. It's not this at all. We are in a living relationship with the God of heaven who has redeemed us, watch, unto himself. Not just, not, not just delivered us, 
but redeemed us. And he said, now you're mine. Let me thank you. Let me ask you this. If God has gone to that extent of redemption to call us his own, why would you think that he wouldn't want to deliver you? Right? You catching it? Yeah. This is what he, this is what he told Abraham. I'm, Moses. That's what he told Moses. You know how you can trust me, Moses? Because I've redeemed you. I'm going to redeem you. I, uh, you belong to me. You're going to belong to me. And if you belong to me, listen, uh, you're mine and my love is on you and you belong to me. You, I, I'm going to do exactly what I say. It's relational. It's relational. You know what I'm telling you this morning? Trust Him. Trust Him. Wait upon the Lord. Wait on Him. He will deliver. It may not look like you think it's going to look. Right? But if you have turned to Him, if you are relying upon Him, if you have found that outstretched arm and you are clinging on to it, right? He's going to deliver you. You ever see somebody uh, snatched out of the ocean, Coast Guard shows up, and the helicopter comes out, and maybe they've been out in the water for some time, and it just so happens that, that, that the... the, the the Coast Guard, the helper comes down and he ties on to this guy maybe and they get him or maybe they put him on, they found him on a mountainside and they put him on this sled and a stretcher and they tie him up. And for some time, for some time, that helicopter is, is going to a safe place while they, they kind of look like they're just kind of swinging down there, right? And they're just kind of flying around, they're kind of floating around, right? Or the stretcher's just, yeah. And when they get to the right place, they can bring the stretcher up. They can bring the person up. They can get them into the helicopter and get them to safety. But for a little time, that doesn't look real fun. But it's still deliverance. It's still deliverance. Sometimes when God is delivering us, it doesn't seem like it, friend. It feels like we're swinging from the bottom of the helicopter about, about 100 feet off the water, and it's not real exciting. Right. It feels like you're dangling off the mountainside in this stretcher, <laughs> right? And they're kind of getting you up to a better place to let you down and to get you to a safe place. But it's all still deliverance. And you know what's better than a helicopter? Being, being attached to the arm of God. Yeah. Amen. He's not going to let you down. Wait on him, would you? Father, thank you. Thank you for deliverance. And uh, thank you that we can trust you. Even the... The darkest times of life, when the scariest times of life, when the circumstances don't seem like they're going to turn out right, Lord, you have a purpose for what you're doing. And all of what you're doing is a part of deliverance. It is. Would you help us to trust you in that place? We thank you that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.